Good morning. When I'd been a Christian for about two years, I got a phone call from a friend of mine at church, and it was devastating news. He had just been diagnosed with brain cancer, and the doctors gave him about six months to live. What made that news so hard for me and for everybody else was he and his wife had been trying for years to get pregnant, and they had just found out that his wife was two months pregnant with twins. As you can imagine, that was an incredibly difficult period. Kirk managed to live almost a year. He saw his twins born, and then he died a very painful death, battling with this brain cancer. And then it seemed to even get worse. Dawn, his wife, uh, had to move into a small apartment. They had been a two-income couple. Uh, They had to give up the house, and there was this difficult transition moving into an apartment. Then she had always suffered with migraines, but usually it's a couple times a year. She started to get these severe migraines like once a week as she was trying to deal with two little infants and take care of them. And then almost an unthinkable thing happened. When, when the twins were two years old, one of them was diagnosed with leukemia. And that child had to go through the, the chemotherapy and, and the various treatments involved in leukemia. And those, I can remember those three years were some of the most difficult of my young Christian journey. I was struggling with, with questions about God and, and, my, and my emotions. I was struggling with anger toward God. I was struggling with fear. What, how could a God do this to one of his kids? Would he do that to me? And I was struggling with doubt. Can I really believe in a God that would allow that to happen? And I still remember talking with Dawn one, one evening, and she just got this peaceful look on her face. She said, Al, I don't have any of those questions. And I, I just kind of shook my head, and she said, You see... The greater the suffering has become, the more real Jesus' presence and comfort has been to me. And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, I'm convinced that I never would have realized Jesus was all I needed until I found out Jesus was all I had. And 25 years later, down the road, I'm still trying to to wrestle with and and fully understand the whole idea of pain and suffering in the the plan of God. And and we've been singing about it. And I hope hope you've noticed that that there's there's thoughts and and, and reflections going on, even in our worship, uh, about this issue. You see, I can tell you something, and I say this very sober-minded, that all of you in here will suffer. Because all of you are going to die, and the process of dying is suffering. All of you will have loved ones who die, and that is suffering. And and there's a hundred, a thousand different ways you will experience suffering on this journey. And you're going to have to, at some point, confront the issue that pain and suffering, it's real. And its very existence raises profound questions about the character of God. In our passage today, Paul brings up suffering. And this gives us an opportunity to address some of those questions that I think we all will have. So if you'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, I'm going to start us with a word of prayer. 
Father, please would you be here and be present and help us understand your character. Father, we need you today. I'm reminded that your word says, it's neither he who plants nor he who waters who is anything but only God who makes things grow. And so, Father, I'm crying out to you. Will you be here and grow deep roots of wisdom about this issue of suffering? Would you grow deep roots of, of faith to help us in our doubt? Would you grow deep roots of perseverance and strength to help us as we encounter suffering on our journeys and, and do a thousand other things that I can't even imagine. Father, would you, would you please do that? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is the time each week when we at Rock Hills open the scripture and, and teach from them. And we do that because we believe it's the most effective thing that we can do. It is, it, is, it is the best thing and the most important thing we can do in our time together. You see, we believe with all our heart that this is the very word of God and that God can help us answer some of these questions. And we believe that with all our heart and that it has a supernatural power to go out and help you and change you and transform you. And you don't have to take my word for that because I'd rather give you the words of God himself. And it, I forgot to give this scripture to, uh, to the tech team, so my apologies. It's Isaiah 55. If you can find that quickly, um, this is what God says about his word. It's Isaiah 55, 10 through, through 11. And it's God speaking through his prophet Isaiah. And God himself says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields bread for the sower, or seed for the sower, and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, now listen to that. Notice the flow of thought here. God is speaking. He says, all of you are, are familiar with this natural phenomenon. Rain comes down from heaven. It hits the earth. It evaporates, goes back to heaven, and it just continues on this cycle. But God speaking says, but there's something that happens in between. Before it evaporates and goes back to heaven, what does it do? It waters the earth, causing it to bud and flourish and be fruitful. And God says that same dynamic is at work when my word goes out. The word of God will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent it. And for that reason, we study the word of God. You know what you, you, know what you don't need here today? You don't need the clever ideas of Al Hassler. You, you don't need that. You don't need advice from a newsstand. You don't need advice from, from Dr. Phil or Oprah about suffering. You don't need that. What you need are the very words of God. And so with that uh, understanding and that reminder, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as Dave has already said, we're discussing, uh, we're in a series called I Am, uh, I Am. And the topic today is I'm transforming. And if you don't like spoiler alerts, plug your ears. But here's the spoiler alert. We are being transformed by suffering. And that is what 
I believe Paul is trying to get at in this passage. And so last week, when Dave began the series, he taught out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he gave us a little background on what was going on and what 2 Corinthians is all about. You see, it is actually, we call it a book of the Bible letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. You see, Paul had become a Christian himself. He had been persecuting Jews or persecuting Christians, and God came to him in a powerful way. He became a Christian. He was so moved by that experience. He was so overwhelmed by the truth and the beauty of the gospel that he went out and went around the world sharing his faith. But it was not without cost. Paul went through a lot to share that faith. And he went to Corinth, and he shared the truth of the gospel, and many people believed. And after a while, he moved on to Colossae and and other cities. And everywhere he went, he would share his faith. People would come to know the gospel. He would start a church, and then he'd move on. And occasionally, he would write a letter back to the church to give them advice or to answer questions. So just imagine if Paul had come to San Antonio and started a church. If he wrote a letter back, it would be the letter to the San Antonians, okay? So this is a letter that we're studying to the Corinthian church that Paul wrote. And Dave gave us a little more background last week when he told us that Corinth was sort of like the Las Vegas of that time. Very, very hedonistic, very immoral. In fact, one of the great temples of this era, uh, the first century A.D., was in Corinth. It was the temple of Aphrodite. That's where we get our word aphrodisiac. Aphrodite was the goddess of pleasure. And at this temple... To help people worship the goddess of pleasure, there was hundreds of prostitutes available. And that was part of the temple rites, to to engage in promiscuous sex. You know, we have this tendency to think that our age is uniquely immoral and and sexually over the top. And nothing can be further from the truth, folks. 2,000 years ago, Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. He had hundreds of wives and, and hundreds of concubines. There has been sexual immorality on a scale that we can't even imagine for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I'm not saying it's good, the, the culture that we live in. It's not. But it's not any, any worse than what Paul was encountering in Corinth. And so that's sort of the background for his letter. He's writing back to them, addressing some of these issues. But there's two more points of background that I want to give to you. One is Paul's biography, what he's been through. You see, he lays it out in 2 Corinthians 11 and a couple other places, what he has been through to plant the gospel, to go forth and preach and share the the good news of Jesus. And he tells us that because he wants people to understand he's not some con artist. And so he tells us the suffering that he goes through to spread the word of God. And it's almost unimaginable suffering. We learn that five times Paul got the 40 lashes less one. Now, if you saw the the Passion of the Christ, you have some idea what being lashed looked like with, with leather whip literally ripping the skin off the back. And Paul got 40 lashes, less one. And the reason they did that is because often if somebody got 40 lashes, they would die. So the idea is we want them to suffer as much as possible and not die, so we'll give them 40 lashes, less one. And so Paul was so committed to sharing his faith that he went out and over and over took the 40 lashes, less one as punishment just so he could continue 
preaching the gospel. That's how committed he was. And it goes on to say, three times he got the rods, and, and the rods was basically the same thing as, as the lash, the whip, except they used a flexible rod to, to whip him. Three times he, he endured that. Once he endured stoning, and this is in the book of Acts, he was stoned to the point of almost dying. He, he barely survived the stoning. Once he was shipwrecked, and he spent a day and a night on the open ocean. Once he was bitten by a poisonous snake and barely survived that. And so Paul has this litany of suffering that I believe increases his credibility to deal with this issue. And, and the second thing that, that I want you to know as part of the background on this passage is that the Bible affirms a sobering truth. And that is that there will be suffering in this world. Jesus says in John 16, just before he leaves his guys, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Romans, in chapter 1, in chapter 5, and chapter 8, has extensive descriptions about suffering that we might encounter in this world. And it talks over and over about it, but it gives us an explanation also. What Romans tells us is God was not... Part of his plan was not to include suffering and pain and evil. That was not in God's original plan. What happened is that long ago, man rebelled against God. And that rebellion not only had consequences for us, but Romans tells us it fractured our relationship with God and actually tore the fabric of the universe. Romans 8 talks about how our rebellion caused decay and corruption to come into the universe. And what's essentially saying is, because of our rebellion, there was an explosion of evil and pain and suffering into the universe. And that is now unavoidable. But it's not because God had planned it that way. That was because of our rebellion. So with that background, let's take a look at Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 7 through 18, and this should be on the screen as we go through it. And Paul says, But we have this treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So in the first six verses that Dave taught on last week, we find out that this treasure is the gospel. This amazingly powerful and beautiful treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And one of the things Paul is saying here is that treasure is contained in this weak and fragile vessel, this jar of clay that is my body. He's growing older. He's growing weaker. And he's saying this, this very common vessel, a jar of clay, it's not some ruby-studded jewelry box, right? It's, it's a common vessel, is containing this incredible beauty and power. And that's one of the ways, by that contrast, that people can see the power and the beauty of the gospel. And now Paul goes into some of the suffering and difficulty that he's had. And so in verse 8, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then Paul says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Now this is a quote from Psalm 116. 
King David wrote this psalm. And that psalm is all about the suffering and the difficulty that David experienced. Now, the reason Paul wrote this, I believe, right here, is because he wanted to communicate something very important. Remember, this is hedonistic, pleasure, comfort-oriented Corinth. When he lists his suffering, they may think, oh, that's okay for Paul. We, we want the pleasure. We want, we want the temple prostitutes. We want the comfort. And Paul is trying to say, look, what I went through, that's not unusual. Because the guy that God himself said, God said of David, he's a man after my own heart, right? And that man experienced suffering on incredible levels, almost like Paul. And so what Paul is doing here is referencing David with a purpose. He wants these people to understand that two of the pillars of the Christian faith, Paul and David, both suffered, and therefore, this is something to be expected on this journey. But he follows it right up with this. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So right after he talks about suffering, he brings up the gospel. Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, and we will be raised with Jesus. And what Paul is saying here, folks, and don't miss this, Don't miss this. You cannot look at suffering in isolation. You have to look at suffering side by side with the gospel. If you just look at suffering, you're going to have questions about the goodness of God. And what Paul is really saying here is, yes, there is suffering, but look at the goodness of God that he willingly came down, died an excruciating death on the cross, defeating death through Jesus, and when we put our faith in Jesus, we will defeat death also. So that is what Paul is saying here. And then finally, in verse 16 through 18, he says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And what Paul is saying is simply this. He's saying, outwardly we're wasting away. Folks, I'm 62 years old. You can just look at me. The skin is starting to sag, you know. And, and if you haven't, if that, if that process hasn't started in you, if you're still one of those young pups, it's going to, I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. And it is a painful process. I mean, I'm at the point in my life, I don't even want to look in a mirror, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what Paul is saying. He says, I don't look at what's on the outside. It's too painful. I just like, want to know, I want to keep my eyes focused on what's the inside, all right? And there's nothing we can do about it. Now, now, this isn't a rant against plastic surgery. Uh, you know, if you want to renovate the casa, go for it. I don't think there's anything in the scripture that says you can't do that, okay? But what I'm saying is that this is an inevitable process, and it is going to be, be painful. But that's okay, because it's achieving an eternal glory. 
And so, and so that's our scripture for the day. And, and here's one of the things I really want to encourage you. Chapter 4, go home and read it, all right? As, as Tim said at one point, this, the Bible is living and active. What the Bible says is God is able, as you are reading it, to, to, to give you advice, to give you guidance, to, to identify issues that you are struggling with, to help you with faith, and many, many other things that I can't even imagine. So you go ahead and read the Bible, because you will get a tremendous amount out of it. It will supernaturally and powerfully change you. And as I read this passage, I felt led by God to bring up and, and to focus on two other issues. And the first is the power of the gospel. And we see that identified right in verse 7, the very first verse. But we have this treasure, which is the gospel, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. And that, that phrase, all-surpassing power, you can almost see Paul struggling to communicate how powerful the gospel is. That word power there is dunamis, which is the, word we, from, the Greek word from which we get dynamite. And so Paul's sort of invoking this explosive image. And what he's saying is, think of the biggest explosion you can, you can imagine, and the gospel is even more explosive than that. It surpasses that. I think if he was writing in today's age, he might say something about a nuclear explosion. But I actually think that, that with today's science, the better explanation, the better way to say that would have been it's an infinite power. Now, why do I say the gospel has an infinite power? You see, eternity is forever. It's an infinite period of time. And when we pass into eternity, we will have one of two possible destinies. We'll either have a destiny in relationship with Jesus, and if we choose to reject the gospel, we will have a destiny away from God. And that is an infinite difference, isn't it? You see, the Bible teaches that long ago, many years ago, we were in perfect relationship with God, and there was a rebellion by humankind. And every human being since then has continued that rebellion. We've all rebelled against God. And that violation of God's perfect justice incurred a payment, a debt, and a penalty for violating his perfect justice. But here's where the gospel comes in. This is what Paul's talking about. The infinite power of the gospel arrives right on the scene, right then and there, because what the Bible teaches is that Jesus came down, which was God himself, lived a perfect life, died for us on the cross, defeated death, and he paid the penalty. He paid the debt for us. And all we have to do is trust him And our eternal destiny is set. It will be with God. If we reject that gift, this this beautiful gift from God, if we reject that gift, we have by our own choice chosen to be separated from God. And I'm convinced that when someone puts their faith in Christ, there's like this infinite explosion of joy and time and life that goes off in the universe because an eternal destiny, an infinite period of time has just been transformed from separation to community with God. And my question to you is, if you haven't chosen to accept that gift, why, why would you not accept it? Why would you reject that gift? God is your father. 
He loves you. He desires relationship with you. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All of us in here have a longing for relationship, satisfying love. All of us have a longing for wisdom and understanding. All of us have a longing for beauty and for pleasure. And God, the God of the universe, will satisfy all those longings for eternity if you will just choose to become in relationship with him by accepting Jesus. That's the gospel. And I hope and I pray, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you'll do that today. And the second point I want to make is that this, this, is, this scripture is really teaching that short-term pain is worth the long-term gain. And it's right there in verse 16. It says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so Paul who is so acquainted with suffering on a level that I don't think any of us could ever, ever imagine. All that he went through, and he's saying, it's a light and momentary suffering. Wow. That, that, that stuns me. But, you know, Mother Teresa said a very similar thing, and she was well acquainted with suffering, as you know, dealing with, with lepers and people with horrible illnesses. She, she basically gave them assistance as they died. She was as acquainted with suffering as any person in our time. And she said, you know, when we pass into heaven, into eternity, all the sufferings of life will be like one night in a bad hotel. And I have to be be careful here now. Because, folks, a confession is, I have not had much suffering in my life. And I know that there are people in here who have suffered deeply. I think of my great friend Danae and, and the past year or two as she's in the process of kicking cancer's butt, right? Right, Danae? But I know that's been a lot of suffering. I know suffering is involved. And I, and I think of Sergio and Kathy Vega and, and, and the journey they went through as their son Sergio Enzo had to get chemotherapy and, and other treatment for his cancer. And, and I think of people in our community who have children with syndromes and, and other developmental disorders that, that are just, I, I just can't imagine how that, they feel. And, and I think of friends in, in our community who are, who've dealt with marriage betrayal that, that caused suffering that's, that's so, so difficult. But you cannot, cannot forget that the gospel transforms that suffering. There is meaning and purpose in that suffering. And, and I think if you're a parent, I think you can grasp it just a little bit. When your kid turns five years old, what do you do? You start sending them off to school, right? And particularly when they're teenagers, when you get them up in the morning, that's suffering. <laughs> I mean, when they're screaming and crying, no, no. And, and you all understand, there's been times we had to get up for work or whatever, and you're, you're tired and you're sleeping. No, and it, it's, pain, it's literally painful. Well, what do you do? You make your child go. You make your child do homework. You make your child study instead of doing you know, video games or talking to their, their friends. And to them, that's suffering. It really is. And that goes on for 12 years. So you horrible creatures force suffering on your kids for 12 long years. And why do you do it? Because you know it's a light and momentary suffering that's going to have a lifelong benefit, 
of character development and, and just maturity. And that's what this text is saying. It's saying, yes, it seems hard now, but a good and loving God is saying it's temporary and it, you will carry that benefit into eternity. You know, I, I always try to, I always want these, these messages to be practical so we can grab it. And, and so that's one of the reasons I talked about Don Askew at the beginning. But as, as, I, as I reflected on how can we get across some of these truths in a practical way, what came to mind was my good friend Miguel Meza. And many of you know, know Miguel. He started a ministry among the broken that, that ministers to the least and, and the disadvantaged in our community, the people under bridges and, and homeless and HIV patients and on and on and on. And, and I knew Miguel's story. And it's a painful story. But I believe Miguel embodies so much of what Paul is talking about here. So he taped a, a, something about his testimony, and we're going to look at it now. <laughs> 